Good morning, Upward family. Happy Easter to everybody. What a beautiful day it is. He is risen this morning. Did you know that? Jesus is alive. Death could not stop our Savior. He's alive and real and moving in this world today, and I'm glad to be a part of what he is doing. Welcome to our online audience as well. Beautiful Resurrection Sunday. Let's give them a hand of welcome today. Glad to have all of you joining us from all kinds of places. We celebrate He's Alive today. Now, you probably knew we were going to talk about that coming to church this morning. You probably guessed the subject would be the resurrection. I went back and counted how many Easter messages I've preached as pastor. This is my 29th Easter message this year. And after 29 times on the subject, we do that every year. Every Christmas, Jesus is born. Every Easter, Jesus is risen. So as pastors, we're trying to figure out, how do I say this in a new way? How do I keep this fresh? How do I make it real to people after doing it 29 times? So I wondered, what else is there for me to say? Then I got a precious gift from a young girl came to me and talked to me, and she asked me a very powerful question I thought was so good, and she really helped me get the idea for this message this year. She came up to me and said, Andy, how do you know that Christianity is true? That's a wonderful question, and it is wonderful for a teenager to be asking that question. Can I tell you something right now? When young people come asking questions about their faith, celebrate that, throw a party, it's a wonderful thing because they're trying to figure out what faith looks like in their lives. They're trying to figure out how that is real for them personally. It's one thing just to accept something because somebody says it and you bring it into your life and that can be a very good thing. Some of us at a young age heard our parents talk about Jesus and we just said yes and we just went on. But for every one of us, there comes a time when life hits you with something, when a problem comes your way, when a storm hits, and you've got to figure out if you really believe this for yourself or you just accepted what somebody else said. You know, anybody know what I'm talking about? There comes a time when you've got to decide if you're going to believe this for you, not because they said it. And that's kind of, I believe, where this young lady is. She's wanting to find out for herself if all this is really true or if this is just something she's been told. So she said, how do you know Christianity is really true? And my wheel started spinning because I knew this was a moment and I needed to give her a good answer. The first thing I thought about saying was, well, uh, 2,000 years ago, there's a poor, uh, really by their st <laughs> uneducated young man, uh, by Jewish standard, he was pretty educated, but uh, a poor man on the other side of the globe in a nation that wasn't really doing so well at the time, in a town that had a terrible reputation, and this man rose up to become a powerful teacher, and today, 2,000 years later, there's over 2 billion people who claim to follow him as Lord and Savior. I would say that's probably a pretty good answer for Christianity being true, the number of people that follow Jesus today after 2,000 years. I thought about saying, well, the Bible is a miraculous book, and it is written by over 40 different authors over 1,200 years. It is a cohesive book that all points toward Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, as the risen King. It's still the best-selling book in the world today that has changed lives over and over and over again around the world. It is the authoritative Word of God. That's a good answer, too. Can I get an amen? Did you, did you think? Are you looking at me like, I don't know if you're doing good or not. Can you work with me? All right, come on. Uh, I thought those were two pretty good answers. But I think I landed on, and God led me, I think, to land on the very best answer that this young lady could hear. And I told her this. I said, sweetheart, 
you need to find out whether or not Jesus really rose from the dead. That's the one thing you need to figure out above everything else. Above all the talk about the dinosaurs and all the talk about everything else, about all the talks of the alleged contradictions in the Bible and all the philosophies that you hear, the one thing you need to find out if you want to find out if Christianity is true or not is did Jesus Christ actually raise from the dead? If he came back from the dead, Christianity is true. You can bank on it. If anybody predicts their own death, burial, and resurrection, and exactly how long they're going to be in the tomb before they come out, and they pull it off, I'm in. I'm in. I'm with that guy, and I'm going to follow that guy, because if you can do that, you've got to be the son of God. If you can do that, you've told the truth about everything else, if you can do that. Here's the deal with it. All of Christianity hinges on that one thing, the resurrection of Jesus. If he rose up from the dead, then Christianity is true. If he didn't, it's not. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we're all wasting our time here this morning. We could be at Cracker Barrel having hash brown casserole right now. I shouldn't be throwing that out to you right now because you're thinking, hmm, hash brown casserole. Sounds pretty good. The truth is we're wasting our time if he didn't raise from the dead. Paul said this much in 1 Corinthians 15, great passage on the resurrection. Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Everything you're doing right now, being in church together, it's useless if Jesus did not come back from the dead. The good news is he did indeed come back from the dead. He did indeed. He is alive and risen today. He's defeated every enemy today by the power of the Holy Spirit. In this same passage, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said there are four important things every Christian needs to know. There are four important things that he passed on to his generation that needed to be passed on to future generations. Four things you got to know. Let's read it together. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 6. Paul said, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive though some have died. Paul said four important things every Christian needs to know. Every person really needs to know this. Number one, Jesus died for our sins. I'm so thankful for that today. I'm thankful Jesus died for my sins because I have sinned. I've done wrong. I deserve some bad things because I've done some bad things. Can I get an amen from anybody else? Anybody with me this morning? Y'all all super saints this morning who've never sinned, all right? I have sinned and I needed forgiveness. I have sinned and I needed to be delivered. I was caught in some sin that I couldn't get out of by myself. Anybody else? Jesus Christ died to pay the price for our sin, to take the penalty for our sin, to break the power of sin off of our lives. That's the first thing. Second thing, it's important to know that Jesus was buried. And you say, why is that so important? I'm glad you asked that question. I'm going to tell you about it the rest of this message. Second point, Jesus was buried. Third part, we need to know that Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. He's not still in that grave. 
All they thought they were doing to defeat him backfired on them. And actually, he's more powerful than ever and a more powerful witness than he was before because of what the devil tried to do to him. That's a good word for somebody right now, right here in this place. What the devil's trying to do in your life right now is making you stronger, making you better, making you more powerful for the kingdom. I just threw that in for free on Easter Sunday. We're not charging you for that at all this morning. Fourth thing you need to know is Jesus was seen alive by over 500 people at the same time. We're going to hit items two and items four today. He was buried, and after that, he was seen alive by over 500 people at the same time. Today, I want you to consider this. We're, we're considering two facts, the tomb and the witnesses as evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to speak to the mind of the skeptic today who said, I don't know if all this is true. I don't know if the Bible is true. I don't know if all this Christianity is true. I today want to present rock-solid evidence that Jesus Christ did indeed rise from the dead. Now, the first thing Paul said was important. We need to know that Jesus was buried. I want you to consider, first of all, the empty tomb. The empty tomb. Paul said that was so important to get. Now, we must consider, first of all, that on resurrection morning, the tomb was empty. You say, okay, pastor, how do we know this is true? This is written in a book that was written 2,000 years ago. People say it's been passed on by tradition. It's become a myth. It's become a legend. How do we know that this is actually true? I want you to hear this. First of all, the tomb was in a very large city in a very public place where people knew where it was and they could go look at it. It was given to Jesus Loan to Jesus. Did you understand that only Jesus can borrow a tomb? You talk about one. This guy got a sweet deal. He gave his tomb to Jesus and got it back three days later. Sweet deal right there, right? But it was in a very large city in a very public place. The stone was rolled away so that anybody that wanted to come and look in there could see that there was no body left in there. The stone was rolled away. You ever been to Easter pageants? I love those, and there's some really good ones. Uh, you'll see in an Easter pageant, also, they'll try to uh, show the Jesus coming out of the tomb, and you typically had a big, round, circular stone. That's what they do in the pageants anyway. And then the lights come on, and smoke starts coming out from behind it, and it's really cool. And the stone rolls off, and then Jesus comes out in a cloud of smoke, and they, in the 80s anyway, arise, my love. Everybody was saying that. It was the same thing every time. But it's beautiful. It really is. And they moved me. It wasn't exactly like that. Uh, the, The stone was more of a, it was like a cork in a bottle. It was a stone that was, that was pressed into an opening that was really hard to move away. And, uh, When it talks about the stone rolling away, it wasn't just this big disc that just barely moved out of the way so Jesus could come out. When the, the Greek language, when it said the stone was rolled away, the Greek means that it was moved away suddenly by great power. And the implication is that the stone was not just rolled away, that it was moved way over there somewhere. It's almost as if an explosion happened of power that pushed that cork out of the bottle onto some other place. You know, that's a beautiful picture of what happens to us when we invite Jesus Christ into our lives. Did you know that? We're stuck. We're in death. 
There's rottenness and decay inside, but we say, yes, Jesus, come in. And the power of the Holy Spirit comes into our place of death. And it's like an explosion of life out of us when we're set free. It's a beautiful picture, the resurrection is, of what happens when we come to Jesus. But the stone was rolled away. Here's what I want you to understand about the tomb. The stone was not rolled away so Jesus could get out. I grew up watching these pageants and I thought, roll that stone away, let my Jesus out of there. My Jesus need to get out of that grave, roll that stone away. No, the stone was not rolled away so Jesus could get out. After his resurrection, he just appeared in places. He could go right through that stone if he wanted to. The stone was rolled away so you and I and the world could look in there and see that there was no body left behind. The stone was rolled away as a witness to the whole world that that tomb was empty. Let me, let me say this too. The, uh, the enemies of Christ, the Romans, the religious leaders who opposed Jesus and his message of the kingdom of God, uh, they had every reason to want Jesus to stay in that tomb. He threatened their power, and they wanted him there. These two entities, the Romans and the religious leaders, both publicly declared that his body was gone. So understand, the enemies of Christ, who had the most to gain by his body being in there, all publicly said, that tomb is empty. Now they made up a story about it, but the fact we're trying to get to today is that tomb was empty. Everyone witnessed it, everyone saw it. There was no body in that tomb on resurrection morning. Jesus' body was gone. So the question is, we've got to figure out now, is if the tomb was empty, how did it get empty? I only see two possibilities. Somebody came and took his body away or the resurrection happened just as the Bible says and Jesus came to life and walked out of that tomb under his own power. Only two things that could happen. Somebody stole his body or he resurrected. Now is it possible that somebody snuck in and took his body away during the night? Could somebody have done that? The religious leaders claimed that this happened. They said, well, his disciples came in and took his body and hid it away in order to prove that the message was true. Is this possible? Now, if I were an investigator, now we have some in the service this morning, we have both attorneys and investigators, so I hope you all will bear with me. I am a bit of a legal expert. <laughs> I watch Matlock regularly, and I've seen a whole bunch of Judge Judy so I'm well-versed in the law now. I know how all this works. <laughs> Seriously, I, I've read about this. If, if you want to prove that somebody did something in court, there, there are at least three things you want to address. You want to look at motive, you want to look at means, and you want to look at opportunity. Motive is asking the question, did they have a reason to do it? Means is, did they have the ability to do it? Opportunity is, did they have a chance to do it? Somebody's been murdered and there's a suspect. You ask, did they have a reason to murder this person? Did they have the ability to murder this person? And did they have an opportunity? Were they close by? We want to look today at the case of the disciples stealing the body and ask ourselves, did they have the means the motive, and the opportunity to actually steal the body of Jesus Christ. Did they have this? Well, first of all, let's talk about motive. Would the disciples have had the motive to steal Jesus' body? And I think the answer is this. 
If they were scammers, yes. If they were liars, yes. Just imagine you're a disciple and you follow Jesus for three years. You've left everything behind and you've put everything else out of your life to serve and follow him. You've dedicated the rest of your life to proclaiming his teachings and all of a sudden he dies. And your whole life, the last three years in your mind, has been a lie. If you're a scammer, though, you think, hey, this would make a good racket. We could sell this message. We could bottle up oil that Jesus touched and sell it. We go all over the world proclaiming this message, but all of a sudden he's dead. And he's in the tomb. And you're sitting around thinking, hey, the one thing we've got to do is we've got to go get his body and sneak it away. Because he told everybody he was going to raise from the dead in three days. And if his body's still there on Sunday afternoon, everybody's going to know we're liars. So let's go get his body and sneak it away. If you're a scammer, you've got a great motive to go take his body away to perpetuate your scam. But we have to look at the actual lives of the disciples after the resurrection to figure out whether or not they were scammers. Here's what I want you to understand. Them preaching the message, He is risen, did not help them have a comfortable life. Them proclaiming to the world He came out of that grave eventually led to 11 out of the 12 being murdered for their faith. 11 of the 12 apostles were killed, some of them, most of them, brutally and, and cruelly. They died horrible deaths for proclaiming the message, He is risen. Now, I, there are some scammers out there. I've had a few emails and a few phone calls from scammers. Many times, if given enough time and enough pressure, a scammer will break and confess the truth. But I want you to hear this. Every one of these men that saw him alive died still saying he is risen. Every one of them went to their death. Not one of them ever broke. Because why? Because they saw him. And they knew that he'd come back from the dead. Did the disciples have motive if they were scammers? These were not scammers. These were truth tellers who died for their message. Second one, did they have the means to steal his body? That is, did they have the ability to go and take his body out of the tomb? Well, I want you to understand something, and this is so powerful. The reason it's important to understand Jesus was buried is because the tomb was powerful evidence for the resurrection. Even 2,000 years later, that tomb says a lot about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that he rose from the dead. Here's what happened. When Jesus died, the Romans and the religious leaders were more scared of him than ever. So the religious leaders went to the Romans and said, listen, the disciples are probably going to come try and steal his body away. So we want you to seal the tomb off and put guards around it to keep them from taking the body. So they did. They took ropes and tied This is how they sealed the tomb. They took ropes and tied it around the stone. Then they got wax and they put wax, hot wax over the, the ropes and took the Roman seal and pushed it into that wax. And then they set a guard of soldiers around the tomb to guard it and to protect it 24-7. Now, hear me today. 
the penalty for breaking the Roman seal, what do you think it was? A tax? A penalty? No. It was death, but it was a specific kind of death. If you broke the Roman seal, your punishment was to be crucified upside down. If crucifixion wasn't bad enough, they're making a statement. You're going to die the most horrible death we can imagine for breaking the Roman seal. So, in order to take that body away, you've got to get through a detachment of Roman soldiers and you've got to be willing to risk being crucified upside down to break that seal. It would take a whole lot of courage for anybody to steal that body. Can I get an amen? Anybody remember where the disciples were during the crucifixion of Jesus? Neither do I. They were gone. Only one of them, that's John, stuck around even for Jesus' crucifixion. None of them certainly had the courage to face their own potential crucifixion. Did you realize that, that every one of the disciples, now in the Garden of Gethsemane where they arrested Jesus, Peter gets out his knife and cuts a guy's ear off. He's ready to fight. But as soon as he saw Jesus wasn't going to fight, they all fled away and hid. So you've got a group of 11 guys who are all in hiding. Does anybody with any sense of reason at all think that these 11 guys are going to go storm a detachment of Roman soldiers and break the seal at the potential punishment of being crucified upside down? I think their behavior offers a strong argument that they did not have the means, the courage to go steal the body. Then you got Roman soldiers who are on guard 24-7. I would argue strongly that the disciples had no opportunity to take Jesus' body. You see what happened here? The religious leaders and the Romans actually helped us prove 2,000 years later that he rose from the dead because they protected the evidence. I know enough to know when you got a crime. I've been on a few crime scenes with the sheriff's department. I've Never been the perpetrator, just so everybody will know. I've never been. <laughs> but I've been on a few of them, and you know what the deal is? Don't touch anything. Don't move anything. Close this place off so evidence can be protected. Do you realize that's exactly what the Romans did with the tomb of Jesus Christ? They sealed all the evidence up in a tomb to where nobody could come and steal his body away. They prove to us today that the only way Jesus gets out of that tomb is by resurrection power that overwhelmed the guards and brought him out and brought him to life. Now, the Romans would have had the means and the opportunity to take the body out of the tomb. They could have removed the body. They could have hidden the body away before it was buried. But just let me tell you this. If the Romans or the religious leaders had the body of Jesus Christ they would have paraded it through the streets to say this man is a lie. No one ever found his body. Why? Because he rose from the dead and that tomb was empty on resurrection morning. The empty tomb is proof to us that it's the resurrection that brought him out of that tomb. The empty tomb proves to us that Jesus Christ is alive and he's conquered death. Here's the good news. The Bible said the last enemy we face is death. Jesus conquered the death by conquered the last enemy, death, at the resurrection. 
Any enemy you've got's already been beat by Jesus Christ. Anything coming against you right now has already been defeated by Jesus Christ. You say, I'm fighting a battle. You may be fighting a battle, but it's already been won by Jesus Christ. It's defeated in his name, and your job is not just to fight, but to stand in the victory that he provided at the resurrection. He's alive. Consider the empty tomb. Secondly and lastly today, I want you to consider the eyewitnesses. Paul said it was important to know that Jesus was seen alive by over 500 people at the same time. That's a lot of eyewitness testimony. Now I've already shown you no one had the motive, means, and opportunity to steal the body. But now I'm going to bring into this courtroom 500 people. And I'm going to give each of them five minutes to tell you that Jesus Christ is alive, not because they think so, but because they actually saw him. If I bring in those 500 witnesses, that's over two full days of testimony in court. The Bible said, let everything be established out of the mouths of just two or three witnesses. If you got one eyewitness, you got a pretty good case. If you got two, you got a solid case. If you got three eyewitnesses, you probably have a pretty good case. We've got over 500 people who saw Jesus who testified in their day that they saw him alive. One of the issues we face with the resurrection is that 2,000 years time passing is we're so far removed from it, it's easy to say, oh, that was legend, oh, it's a myth, oh, it could be a lie. But I want you to hear what Paul said. He said over 500 people saw him at once, most of whom are still alive today. He said some of them have died by this time. By the time 1 Corinthians was written, some of these 500 had died, but most of them were still living. Paul's saying, go ask them. This New Testament was never discredited. It was never discarded. This message of the resurrection was never put aside. Why? Because there were 500 people walking around on the planet 2,000 years ago who would say, we saw him alive. We know he's living because we've laid eyes on him. Powerful testimony. You go to court with this case, it's a slam dunk. Jesus rose from the dead. You go to a reasonable court, he rose from the dead. Now, I love what it says too. 500 saw him. Now, some people say um, Jesus was a hallucination. You ever had a hallucination? I'm not going to ask you how you got it. Did you have a hallucination? Anybody? Nobody at Upwards ever had a hallucination. Jesus, help me preach online next week. Come on now. Anybody ever seen something that wasn't there? God, you people are just convinced. On Easter Sunday, too, you're going to lie to me, all right? Hallucination, just when you see something that's not there. Maybe they say the disciples were so grieved they saw Jesus appear. It's important to know this, though. 500 people don't get the same hallucination at the same time. You may have been to some places where a bunch of people in a room were having hallucinations. Yeah, I'm going to chase you down. I am. Uh, I guarantee you they were all having their own individual hallucinations. These 500 people saw it at the same time. Now, if we have a guy who shows up at church and says this morning, one guy, and he says, I saw a unicorn galloping down Upward Road this morning. We're going to be like, bless him, Jesus. Right, right. Bless him, Lord. But if all 500 of us leave out of this place saying, we saw a unicorn on Upward Road this morning, we're going to be on national news. 
Now the world may be saying, bless him, Jesus, out there at Upward, I don't know. But I'm going to tell you, we'll have a case because 500 of us saw the same thing at once. The eyewitness testimony is enough. And along with the empty tomb, crushing evidence to prove that Jesus rose from the dead. One of the more powerful witnesses was this, and I'm closing with this. Did you know Jesus had earthly brothers? Jesus was born of a virgin. He's the firstborn of Mary, born of a virgin, powerful miracle. But after that, Joseph and Mary had a very normal marriage, and they had children. We know Jesus had brothers. And this is the sad thing that many people don't know, is during his earthly ministry, his brothers mocked him and didn't believe in him. There's a lot of evidence for it. There's one story where they're like, uh, if you are who you say you are, come prove it. Now, before you get too mad at these guys, their older brother was Jesus. No thank you. People are like, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to be Jesus' brother? No. You know he had to be the favorite. Any question? You know when they misbehaved, there was some of that, well, why can't you be like? And they're like, he's a Messiah, Mom. They were jealous of him. At a certain point, he got all the attention. They mocked him. In his earthly ministry, the mentions of them are them not believing in him. There's no mention of them being at the cross with their mother. It's one of Jesus' disciples, John, the one who was there was with Mary like they were scattered they were gone after the resurrection in Acts chapter 1 there's a powerful verse that's really easy to overlook it says this they all met together constantly united in prayer these are the believers in the resurrection they were along with Mary the mother of Jesus several other women and the brothers of Jesus after the resurrection the brothers that mocked him now worshipped him in fact, James, his brother, became a leader in the early church. And James himself gave his life for Jesus Christ as a martyr. You hear me? The people that mocked him were now worshiping him. Why? They saw him. They saw him. I want to tell you this morning, the evidence is overwhelming. Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead. And he is alive. If that's true, everything he said is true. Jesus said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That is so true. Before I met Jesus, I was searching for something. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's a terrible place to be because you know you're searching for something, but you don't know what it is. You may think you can find it in stuff, and you get stuff, and it just doesn't do it for you. It does temporarily, but it, the new wears off of it, and there's no life in it. I'm going to have life if I get that car. And then you get that car, and something breaks down on it. Oh, it wasn't so great. I'm going to have life if I can get in this relationship. And you get in a relationship that maybe you shouldn't get in because you're just searching for something. Then you get in the relationship, and problems hit. Amen. searching for something but you don't know what it is I tried a lot of stuff in my life trying to figure out what it was but the day I found Jesus I didn't become perfect you knew that didn't you all my problems didn't go away 
But the day I found Jesus, I knew that I had found what I was looking for because life came into me. Today, if you're struggling, today, if you're hurting, today, if you're just wandering aimlessly, if you're trying to find truth, it's found only in Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Jesus, we love you and thank you for today, for the opportunity to serve you and love you on this beautiful Easter Sunday to proclaim that you are risen indeed. Thank you, Jesus. May you arise in hearts and lives today. May the same Holy Spirit that raised you from the dead quicken bodies here today and bring life into death today. Bring light into darkness in Jesus' name. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pose a question to you. Some today have already said yes to Jesus Christ. I wonder who in the building today, and we're not going to embarrass anybody, who in the building today will say, I believe Jesus rose from the dead, and today I'm saying yes to him as the Savior and Lord of my life. Can I see your hand right now all over this building? God bless you. Thank you. God bless you back there. Thank you. God bless you way back there. Thank you. Anybody else today? Amen. I see three or four hands right here today. That's just awesome and incredible. Can anybody say I'm going through some deep waters right now? I'm going through a struggle right now. And I need the resurrection power of Jesus to defeat my enemies and to win the victory today. And I want to stand in that. Can I see your hands right now? Oh, yes, yes. His resurrection power is available for you today. I want you to pray with me, whether in person or online. You're watching giving your life to Jesus, pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me, for dying for me. I ask you today to forgive my sin, to come into my heart, to be my Savior, and to be my Lord. And from this day forward, my life is yours. Amen. Can we celebrate that today as we stand? Stand with me. Let's celebrate that. Aren't we so blessed? We are so blessed. I want to say thanks for this great team. Uh, we got a great team up here and volunteers all over. They're doing a great job today. Five services today. This is the third of five today. And now the teams are doing so good. And I just want to say thank you to all of them. You saw them out there shivering in the parking lot this morning. I'm just so thankful we couldn't do it without y'all. Thank you so much. I want to bless you today. You ready to be blessed from the book of Hebrews. Jesus, our high priest, the author writes, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Then he says this, Let us therefore come boldly everybody say boldly let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need here's your blessing today no more wimpy prayers you ready no more wimpy prayers no more prayers just asking for little things we're going to launch our prayer life and ask for some big things anybody want to say i'm asking god to do some big stuff can i see your hands this morning big prayers bold prayers big and bold answers will come into your life. That's your blessing today. Now go in the power of the Holy Spirit. I send you out. Make Jesus known all over your community. Amen. Amen. Happy Easter. Celebrate. He is risen. See you next time. Love y'all.